Scarlett, thanks very much, and a warm welcome to Bloomberg Television viewers and Bloomberg Radio listeners worldwide for this conversation with Brian Moynihan. Brian, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Eric. Nice to see you. You like our shop here? I do indeed. It's a great location to hold an interview. Um, as my colleagues were just mentioning, Warren Buffett has just become your largest shareholder. I imagine from your point of view that's a good thing. Yeah, let's, let's start off though with the issues of the moment. Um, we've got several thousand teammates in Houston and Corpus Christi area and, and I think our, our thoughts and prayers should be with them. Um, you know, now you're seeing the storm move to Louisiana and other places. So. We've been working not hard over. with them to, it's not over at all. And uh, we've been working hard with them to make sure they're safe. And so I think before we get started on issues like that, let's make sure that our teammates in America knows that we're in it for them. It is, are. as the president himself said today, deeply tragic. What has it meant so far, Hurricane Harvey specifically, for Bank of America? Have you had to do a damage assessment? Uh, we, you know, we, we have a very strong team that works on these issues. So as this is going on, we also have what's going on in Mumbai at the same time. So we had 1,000 or 700 teammates that were holed up in a building that couldn't get home there to much different scale. But yes, we have several thousand teammates and we since this started have been making sure they're safe, taking an accounting of them, both the ones that workforce and contractors, making sure our facilities are safe, making sure those people have whatever they need. And we have a very sophisticated method which we're in contact with them to make sure if they need anything, we can try to get it to them. The difference in a tough situation like this is physically getting to people is difficult and and so we have to rely on obviously the same resources the rest of the world does but once we can get a hold of them we try to if they need housing we'll put up in housing we have thousands of teammates who are not involved that want to go help and we have to hold them back to make sure that they get in there at the right time so make sure the teammates are safe make sure they're in contact with you make sure they have what they need and then get back in business when it's appropriate to do so we can help the communities recover. We need to get cash in. We need to help the stores open and, and do that. You have retail customers in South Texas, certainly many in Houston, perhaps hundreds of thousands even. Um, you've got corporate customers. You've got institutional customers. What specifically have you decided to undertake on behalf of customers in the way of relief? Sure. And so if you think about on the consumer side, we've already announced that, that as we did with Sandy or Katrina or all the other natural disasters, you basically tell people, get your life back in order. Don't worry. If you don't pay, we're not going to hold against you. We refund late fees. We refund, don't hold late payments against people, all those types of things. And we did it for years for Sandy and other places where people dislocated. Uh, so that's the first order of business, to make sure that they know they have to take care of themselves and not worry about the issues of if I'm late on my payment because I can't make the payment and things. So we just say, forget about it. We'll take care of that. So we waive all those fees retroactively. We waive the late payments retroactively across the products. Then the second question is, you know, in the aftermath and, and you know, then you have to worry about, you know, the damage they've suffered and helping them get their insurance payments and getting the places cleaned back up and, and their houses back and repair their car uh, back if it's damaged to get a new car. And so we help in that process, um, process the insurance payments and checks. And, you know, a large volume comes in very quickly, so you have to be prepared to do that like we did in the other disasters. Uh, but mostly, and on the business side, it's making sure the business are ready to operate. So, you know, every store needs cash, coin, and currency, so we're shipping that down and getting it ready and making sure they're ready to go. Let's return, if we may, to the subject of Mr. Buffett and his shareholding at Bank of America. He's now the largest shareholder, larger even than BlackRock. He has long had a dialogue, as you know, with the CEOs of Wells Fargo, where he's been a longtime shareholder. What kind of input, Brian, are you hoping to get from Warren Buffett? Well, his 
I think he would say the same thing. He's owned our stock now for five, six years. It's it's not something he did in the last 24 hours. All he did in the last 24 hours is change the form of it. Warrants into it's, common stock. And so you know he's been a a, a big shareholder in a, in a contingent interest now, an actual outstanding. So. You know, I talk to him once in a while. He, he, you know, he likes how we run the company. He said that to one of your, to David or someone he earlier. Did. So he said that to you David know, today. And, and I don't think he'd invest if he didn't like what we we're doing. And so our job is to keep doing a good job, and I'm sure he'll be happy, just like the rest of our common shareholders will be happy. How's business these days? It's good. It's solid. You know, if you look across. When you think about it, we're going to reflect the economy in the United States and around the world. And what are you seeing? You're seeing a little faster growth outside the United States, which is a good thing because it had been lagging and you're seeing that. That's helpful. In the United States, uh, I think as Warren said it earlier, you're seeing a 2% economy. And you know we're seeing the good side of that and the bad side of that. Consumer spending strong, uh, stronger this year over last year than it was last year over the year before, uh, but still consistent with a 2% growth. So it's, it's all solid. What's the biggest tailwind? What's the biggest headwind? The biggest tailwind is, you know, just the compounding of this great size economy and it continuing to operate. If you think about 2% growth, you know, isn't what we want. You know, people want a faster growth, but what you're seeing is that sop up employment levels or unemployment levels, all time lows. Wages are growing a little faster than people thought. Um, you know, even when you think about Houston and recovery, the unemployment levels are so low, we got to get, you know, can we actually do that and do whatever we're doing? And so you're worried about having capacity to do the work. Um, but if you think about all that, it's everything solid, and that's what we like about the economy. Is it's kind of, you know, business demand is uh, loan demand is okay. It's not strong, but it's consistent with two percent. But it's been there for a long time, and so we we sit there and say our, we reflect our clients, and so all fine. And the single biggest headwind, what would it be? I, th I think the single biggest headwind is going to be over time if we don't find out reasons for people to be enthused. And that's where I think if you take tax reform or something like that, you've got to give people reasons for people to be optimistic. And I think that that's one that's coming up in front of us. And I think if it doesn't go through, it's not that it'll change the course of history. It's very important. But it will show that we can't, as a country, invest in our future by changing our tax laws to be competitive. You describe it as a 2% economy, Brian. Second quarter growth, as you know, came in higher than expected at 3%. Is there anything that you see in the way of loan demand and the way of the investment banking pipeline that suggests the economy can sustain a 3% growth? I'd say that it, it, it just almost did for a quarter, but the, you know, the measurements all in and out and stuff shifts from quarter sure, to quarter. Sure, sure, sure. I'm not but, thinking right, about it on a quarter to quarter basis. Yeah. I'm thinking about it on a longer term basis. I, I think one of the things that people forget is the population in the United States is not growing that fast because we've had different policies in immigration and things. And so if you think about the period of time in the, uh, in the 90s and 2000s when you had economic growth, you had a population growing at one one and a half percent a year, and now it's three quarters. It's hard to estimate, you know, but sort of three quarter, half to three quarters. That difference is a lot of people and a lot of demand for houses, for food, for you know, cars, for everything. And so we've, we've got a good, solid economy. But I think it, without population growth at a faster rate, you're going to see this thing fight to get between two and three as opposed to easily get there. So if this administration does, in fact, curtail immigration, it's going to have consequences for growth? I think we're in to many years of a debate that we've got to have a reasonable immigration policy as a company, country. Um, of all the indicators you keep tabs on as CEO, internal indicators, not the indicators we're talking about, not unemployment, not GDP growth, not wage growth, the stuff that only you can see inside Bank of America, what's going on under the surface? What's, you know, green, full steam ahead? What's flashing yellow or red? So if you, if you sort out all of what you're thinking about, about the economies, 
you come down to the largest economy is the U.S. economy, mm -hmm. and two-thirds of that is consumers. So the thing you watch is what are consumers spending on. And each month in our company, consumers spend 40 to $50 billion on credit cards. They, they send out an, about an equivalent amount of checks. And the question is, is that getting bigger? And if it's getting bigger, people are spending more money. What do you and see? It's up 5% year over year in terms of total cash out the door. Checks paid, cash out of the ATMs, ACHs, wires, debit and credit cards up 6 7%. And that's good. That means consumers are spending money. And so that, that includes cash coming out of ATMs are basically flat year over year, which is better than it tends to drift down or checks tend to drift down. So consumers are spending. That's good. And so that means that they're confident they have a job, they're confident they're spending. So if I watch that, I know that that's going to probably lead the economies. And what you saw today was you saw them adjust up consumer spending again. Mm -hmm. And I'd say our numbers are strong, have shown consistently that they're going to be adjusting that up, and they have been over the last several months. They've been adjusting that up almost every month as being a little bit higher, not a lot higher, but a little bit higher than it looks like from some of the under indicators you see. It sounds to me like you see signs that maybe economic growth can accelerate beyond its current trajectory. Am I, I hearing that right? Yeah, you're seeing wage growth. We see what our employees, you know, we, we have a series of policies. They're getting, you know, they get paid more every year. They spend a little bit more every year. So I, I think it's solid. But I think it, it's going to take some more enthusiasm and a little bit more drive to get it up into 3%. And that's going to come from a series of policies which are geared to invest in the United States, from a United States perspective. From the rest of the world, you're seeing you know, Europe grow a little better, which is good. You're seeing China maintain a 6% plus growth rate. India has come back and is going well. And you're seeing Brazil start to work its way out of its mess. And if those happen, then the rest of the world comes along. Brian, the president made his pitch for tax reform today in Springfield, Missouri. From where you sit, opposite me, right now, do you, are you counting on any meaningful pro-growth policy, legislation, reform from this administration? If so, what and when? Well, let's, let's, set out, let's talk about tax reform and the need for it. If you think about something simple, we just moved our operations in Europe to Dublin. Dublin has a tax rate which is half of what the U.S. tax rate is, and that's what we're, you're trying to get competitive. This is a matter of sheer competitiveness. There's two basic principles, competitiveness on rate and territorialism so that people don't shift money outside mm -hmm. our country. So 30 years ago when people talked about tax reform, the global economy wasn't what it was, and so there wasn't as much economic activity competition, you can, right? no, well, but there, but that, there actually, is now I can get raw materials I can build a build them whatever it is a car or something and I can sell it outside the United States 30 years ago much of that demand was in the United States right. that means money's going to be out there unless we make it more equivalent to bring it back Democrats and Republicans alike agree on the need for some kind of tax reform the question is when is it going to happen and perhaps what is it going to look like do you have any confidence in this administration being able to get tax reform done, I don't know when, by the end of this year, at least see something on the table by the end of next year, by the end of this term? I, I have confidence that of all the issues they've faced so far, there has been multi-year agreement that this was the issue of the moment, right? We had to get tax reform done under the Obama administration, going right. back into you know, the Bush administration. So I, I think there's more energy and more understanding of how that's going to It's still hard work. There's still a lot of devils in the details when we start making adjustments in fiscal responsibility versus allowing the deficit to expand. All these issues be on the table. But I think of, of all the issues that have come up so far, this one has more of a uniform, a unified 
uh, group of people are saying we got to do this because it's so obvious we're not competitive and then we also got to do something on personal rates for people in lower paid areas so they can actually take more home but can you bake it into your planning yet I, I don't I don't bake a lot of external factors in our planning <laughs> so I, I, I think it's I got it's the probabilities high and people working their tail off on it and that's good how would you rate the president's stewardship of the economy so far yeah I, I think that the stewardship of the economy is going to be driven by more by what the consumers are doing and everything and I think we're, the economy is growing and I, you got to now would people want it to grow faster absolutely would people thought it was going to grow faster there's a lot of debate of that but the reality is the economy looks a lot like it did three six nine months ago yep. and will continue to look that way until fundamentally people's you know something changes you with all due respect you we can't sit here and say that the president doesn't have a consequence the decisions that the president makes the administration makes do have consequences for the economy the decisions are made as policy matters across Congress and doesn't have consequences right now without any decisions made you're seeing the economy grow and we expect that continue I see um, you have been less outspoken in particular about the presidency but also a number of other things than some of your fellow bank CEOs how come well, I'm not sure that it depends on what issue it is. We've been very outspoken issues important, but you've got to go back to how we run the company, which is we have a set of values in our company. We have a set of principles we run it by called responsible growth, and we live to those. And that part of that's being sustainable. And so how we approach our on the environment. We have an environmental program that's $125 billion over 10 years. We're about halfway through it by the end of this year. We, we believe the Paris Accords was a, a, a deal that should, should mm -hmm. have been signed. We made it clear that it shouldn't have been taken apart, but it happens. That doesn't change how we run our company. And when you go to issues of uh, the relations in, uh, at HP2 in Charlotte and what you know, bathroom bills so-called and stuff, we came out because it was our headquarters and it made employees feel on, uh, that the, the state wasn't supporting their ability to be themselves at work and so we came out hard on that. We've supported, we've been behind in other jurisdictions making sure that similar laws don't get passed because it's the impact of business. So we come out hard on the issues but we don't have to, uh, our employees know where we stand and we drive our whole company along those principles. So our diversity inclusion efforts, the stuff we've done with the new museums, for example, to have the courageous conversations uh, about what goes on. Just at lunchtime, I was with one of our teammates that lives in Charlottesville, and they're, next week they're having a conversation, what they call a courageous conversation, where they're bringing people from the University of Virginia, student leaders and others, to talk about what went on and what the implications are. Our belief is, you know, everything starts at home. We've got to make sure we run our company the right way from its values and support. And when we stand is important to us in the public domain, we take a hard stand. And being against Tate is, we're against Tate, everybody's against Tate. That's not a hard thing to say. The question is how do you operate this big company at the same time to make sure that all these teammates on this floor can be who they are when it comes to the door and, and live their life accordingly and not have to change who they are to workforce. And that's what we're driving. Speaking of the people on this floor, uh, I've seen examples of how transformative technologies like machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, can be applied in retail banking. What about this business, the wholesale business? The dealing that your employees have with institutions, how do you manage the transition from people to machines on the trading floor? Well, if you look out there, you can see all that technology deployed. Every one of those trading things is per personally um, uh, tuned to that trader and that person. And so it's huge impacts. The ability to assess information, the information coming through the systems to them from your company and other companies for them to assess, it's changed dramatically. But if you think about it more broadly, all of industry, all of business, all of society is affected by three or four major trends. Voice recognition, 
artificial intelligence, the ability to store and, and distribute data, and then distributed computing, and all that al allows us to have tremendous ability to make the business more efficient. So Fab Gallo and Equities, which was already electronified years ago, has probably taken out 10 or 15% of the people over the last couple of years, and the revenues have been growing. And, and the will reason why is it will continue, more and more electronification. Now, how's that happening? It's more algorithmic trading, more mm -hmm. things are driven by straight through pipes, all these words that we use are terms of art. But what that really means is you know, XYZ investment manager putting through uh, trades directly through the machines, through us to the markets, and back and forth is a higher and higher percentage because of their strategy and how we support them. Fixed income, behind that but becoming more electronic all the time. So we have an iLoan trading platform for loans, which are not very bespoke, each one's different, for trading them and showing bids and things like that. That's going on. So it'll be a relentless, relentless pursuit. How would you, Brian, characterize the trading environment this quarter? Solid. Solid. It's, it's solid. Last year's third quarter was the best quarter of 16, which is a very unusual event because, yes. as you know, first quarter, second quarter, third seasonally quarter, fourth week. quarter. And last year was good. And it's because all last year was kind of shifted a quarter out because of the lockup and the early things. So, yeah, but this, it's solid. It's solid. And solid so means? Solid means Does that mean what we sequential increase, decrease? Uh, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll figure that out because you, you got to well, remember the whole, the whole quarter is made in September. So we got a while to go. Which means we're at where at the end of August? Yeah, we're, we're okay. <laughs> um, a couple of questions for you about regulation. As you know, the Treasury Department has proposed a range of regulatory reforms for your industry for banking. A lot of those can be accomplished without the help of Congress. If Secretary Mnuchin were to get everything done that he wants to get done outside of legislation, what would it mean for your bottom line? It would be good. I, I, don't, I don't have a number for you, but it would be good. And it would be good for society and good for America and good for rules. Some, if you think about, there's three or four things that are important what's yes. going on, right? What's, what's specifically but, important but, to you in this company? Of, number one, who, the, the leadership of the agencies, there's been proposed people that they've got to get through Congress. Second was rules that were going on that now have been pulled back or rethought. Then there's rules that have to be changed, and then there's actually legislation. So if you look across all those, what the secretary did is get input from investors, from analysts, from the companies, from advocates, from professors, and said, here's a set of principles we've got to fix. The key ones for us would be capital. Uh, you know, liquidity requirements, some of the technical rules there, some of the technical rules in capital, um, and allowing has more access to our capital account when we're, we have $20 billion excess after the stress test again. You know, let us go out and you know, put that back in the market so somebody else can use the capital because we don't need it to grow. Those are the most important things for us. It's capital, liquidity, and things like that. To other people, it might be something Trading different. Trading book oversight? Uh, it's, a lot of that, you know, Volcker is just Gold too plating. complex. Volcker's too complex. Um, by everybody's admission. The question is, what was the principles you're trying to stop, and can you make it a, a, a more straightforward execution? That, that's probably a good idea, because right now you have five or six agencies working on it, different sets, different sets of principles, and they all know that it's too complex. The question is, how are we going to go about it? And he's proposed, let's try to make it simpler. Now we've got to figure out what we mean by that, and yet keep the principles in place. We don't have proprietary trading. That's what we're not supposed to do, and we're not doing it. The question is, how many times do I have to just prove it? That's where it gets a little tricky. Uh, as you probably know, I'm sure you know, in fact, the buy side is beginning to freak out about these new European financial rules known as MIFID II. Uh, how big a deal is it for B of A? You know, it, it's a rule change, like all these rule changes, one going on all the time, but, you know, it costs us money to implement it and things like that. But if you really think about it, we have the number one research platform in the world, I think, six years in a row. And I'm sure that people will 
pay us for that. Are they going to pay eighty thousand dollars a year? I assume they will because it, that's how they're going to have to get it. So they, the problem is, is it, so I think with our customers and clients that do tens of millions of dollars of volume with this stuff, it, it, this kind of. Uh, to me, it's not been the biggest issue I've been worried about. I'm more worried about what's going on in uh, the hurricane. I'm more worried about what's of going course. on in other things. And you know, Candace and team work it out, and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's it's disruptive. I'm not sure I, we agree with all of it, but at the end of the day, it's the rules of the road. You put them in, you go on with life, and, and people will adjust to it. Brian, it's good to see you, and thank you for having me here.